This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, the Awareness Explorers family. I'm Jonathan Robinson. I'm with my trusty co-host. Brian Tom O'Connor. And I am talking to you from a hotel bathroom today. And it's a fitting time because we're going to be talking about a subject which we call human awakening environments. What environments help people to awaken? And in the last week, my house had five and a half feet of snow. Wow. Yeah. And some people, and, and no power for the last seven days. And I got to experience what the environment was like maybe 150 years ago where, you know, it snowed and you, you stayed in your place freezing for many days. And I noticed I was not doing my meditative practices because I was freezing to death and trying not to die. And I noticed that uh, having no power and five feet of snow is not a good human awakening environment. But we will be talking about good awakening environments and how we can create them. And when we started to think about this topic, Brian, what was the first thing that arose in your head? Well, I assume that when you talk about human environments for awakening, we're talking about the ways we interact with uh, other people on on the uh, spiritual path and uh, different ways we can be with them, share experiences, etc., as opposed to something which we might do for another episode, the physical environments for uh, awakening. But I think we're we're concentrating on human relationships and our own practice. Is that right? Yeah, things like retreats and workshops and churches and temples and spiritual communities, even meetups, and also like being around the group of students that a teacher has, you know, a sangha, that being in supportive environments like that, where you're interacting with other people on the awakening path, is really important, especially at certain stages of the journey. Yes, I really agree. It's uh, For me, it's been really important to interact with others and share experiences. Uh, there are pitfalls to that as well to be on the lookout for, but overall, it's definitely a positive experience. One of the things I notice in talking to people is there's still a lot of people who don't have their tribe, and it really reduces their motivation. It reduces their ability to learn. We'll talk about some of the upsides of finding your awakening tribe. But the internet has given us new possibilities, being that if you know this obscure teacher in Bolivia, uh, he probably has a Facebook group and a bunch of students that you can interact with or whatever it is. So once the internet became popular, it really opened up spirituality, including the scientific study of it, because now people with similar interests, similar teachers, similar backgrounds could all connect. And I know that I do that a lot with the uh, Jeffrey Martin 45 day challenge group. There's literally like 7,000 people who've taken that class now. And there's like 10 meetups a day or five meetups a day of different groups that 
any time of day, you can get on Zoom and talk to people about one of the tools or one of the ideas, and it's really incredibly helpful. Yeah, it is w wonderful uh, to experience that and to be able to just drop in any time. It's kind of like, you know, any time of day or night, wherever you are, there's a 12-step meeting going on. Right. Which is uh, also an example of an awakening environment and, you know, a little bit different than how we talk about. But AA and those types of 12-step groups have been a godsend for so many people. Wow and uh, we're lucky to have them. But let's talk about some of the upsides to good awakening environments. I mean, first thing that comes to mind is we're very social animals, and we kind of become like the five people we hang out with the most. And if the people around you aren't necessarily into awakening, you're going to likely become like them sooner or later unless you start interacting with people who are on some kind of path. And so, you know, one of the upsides of me doing this podcast with you is I get to interact with you and other people who listen to our podcasts. And it keeps reminding me about what's important because when you go out there in the world, you don't get a lot of reminders about awakening. That's right. And and uh, when we interact with people, we get those reminders and we also get a kind of a, uh, I forget the word for it, um, but you, you know the word I'm talking about where you are sort of, you, you do it because another person is uh, expecting you to do it and you, you, you help each other, um, you know, because a lot of times you might start on it and just say, oh, I'm not going to meditate today or I'm not going to do this. But what do you call that when two people accountability? Start, that's the word accountability. I think that's one of the big pluses to um, sharing this with other people. Yeah, you know, I'm a, a writer, but I'm also a motivational speaker at corporations, and I developed a couple of motivation methods that really work better than other stuff out there, and they all involve accountability. You know, if you really want to stay motivated to do something over a long period of time, that is definitely the key. And it helps with the ability to stay motivated a long period of time and also to get a momentum behind you, where if everybody around you is meditating an hour a day, it kind of happens that you start meditating an hour a day. If nobody around you is meditating, well, it kind of happens that you stop meditating. And that's just kind of how it goes with being a social animal. But, you know, also, there's also the shared knowledge and exploration that we try to do on Awareness Explorers, where you're learning new things from the people who are also exploring. And that's one of the most satisfying things about, about uh, a, a awakening group of folks. Yeah, you really do learn a lot when you share your experiences with each other. And as long as you are, as long as you're sharing your experiences and not just, you know, parroting the words you learned, as long as, as, long as it's experiential sharing and not just sort of intellectual sharing. Mm -hmm. But we can get into that when we talk about the pitfalls. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I got from being in a spiritual community for 26 years is I got to experience a lot of things that would be impossible for me to experience on my own. 
we did, you know, crazy things like build a hospital in Thailand for Burmese refugees or build a school for Syrian refugees in Turkey. And, you know, I don't have those skills, but, you know, if you get 20 people going over there for a few months, you figure it out. And in that process of working together, you get to see each other's gifts and shortcomings. And there's a lot of learning that takes place being in a kind of purposeful, confined environment with other people. And even in, in our interaction, Brian, you know, sometimes we have to work stuff out and you've learned stuff about me. I've learned stuff about you. Of course, we learn stuff on this podcast, listening to each other because we come from different points of view. But I think that's really the way it should be that the the model of awakening in a cave does not really work in today's world for more than a few people. That's right. I mean, yes, every once in a while you have a, a Ramana Maharshi who can do it all, all on his own. But most people are not those, you know, those singular individuals, those um, uh, what, what's what's the word for something that happens, uh, a black swan or something like that, that that's very rare. Yeah. And most people really need that kind of support, that kind of interaction and that kind of learning from each other. But there's also something that happens when you do things together as well. And I don't mean just sharing knowledge and sharing ideas. I mean, there is the practical side of that. I mean, I can't tell you how many teachers I knew about because somebody told me about them and then I read them and then I learned about them. And mm -hmm. that's fantastic. And I can't tell you how many times someone has said something, well, this is what I do. And I thought, oh, that's a very interesting, I never really looked at it from that point of view. And then you would say, well, this is what I do. And and you you really help each other in that way. But the mm -hmm. other thing is what happens when you're actually doing it together in the same room. And that's a major part of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, retreats or seminars and even Zoom calls, I've noticed, create a higher vibrational field. I think there's something kind of mysterious or magical going on there. That I mean, Jesus said, when two or more are gathered, uh, I'm not uh, good with Bible verses, but two or more are gathered, uh, he'll be there in some way, you know, that energy will be there. And I really agree that that is something that is true, that it's almost like the the thing that supports our awakening wants us to get together because in a certain way we are just one being mm -hmm. and when we connect with others we're connecting with another part of ourselves and that i've noticed in when people meditate together or even um i do a zoom call in which people meditate together every friday from people from all over the world and People told me, oh, yeah, you get really high because there's a field created on Zoom. And I said, BS. I mean, come on. Uh, how's that going to happen? How's the field know I'm here in five feet of snow in Nevada City, California, and they're in Australia or whatever it is. But it's unmistakable. I mean, it's not even subtle. We get a few hundred people and I get totally zonked. 
And so there's even a field that happens on Zoom. And I'm wondering if you've experienced something like that. I definitely have experienced that. Uh, I co-host a weekly Rupert Spira meetup on Zoom. And it's not 100 people. It's usually, you know, just, um, you know, six to 12 people, you know, each week. But there is a feeling that you get when you're listening to each other and allowing each other to say what they have to say without judgment and uh it you're right it, it's palpable it's you, you you can feel it and i i don't know why it happens on zoom originally i had a theory about why it happens in person you have a group of people who are doing an activity together and usually one of the activities is meditating another activity is self-inquiry and you could be doing that together at the same time. Your mind quiets down, your body relaxes, and this actually changes the frequency of your vibration. And everyone is doing it at the same time, and you start vibrating harmonically with each other. You start vibrating at similar frequencies. And so when one person relaxes and identifies with the pure love, which is the background of all experience, that vibration starts to affect others and the sympathetic vibration spreads. And there's a feeling in the room that can happen. Now, how to explain how that happens on Zoom, I don't know, but it seems to happen there as well. Well, the way I explain it is the way I explain many things is through <laughs> PFM, pure freaking magic. Someday maybe we'll know. You know, the other thing I've noticed is like I've, I used to go to uh, a Christian church and I was just checking out different churches. And I would notice that some churches felt as dead as a garbage dump. I mean, literally, not only no energy, but like bad energy in that people didn't want to be there and there was just no spirit whatsoever and then there were other churches that just blew my socks off in terms of the energy and the feeling and i would be in a state of bliss and uh just because people are so-called gathered you know for a spiritual or religious thing is maybe one component but there's also other components i don't know the sincerity level or something that makes some awakening environments human awakening environments very what i would call hot hot with grace mm -hmm. and others that feel freezing cold and i don't know why it's one or the other but uh it seems to be palpable and i'm wondering what your experience with that is well, my experience is that when the focus is on rules or control, that the energy is, is that it sucks energy out of you. And when the focus is on love, then the energy builds and grows and is shared. Mm -hmm. It seems like with a lot of people, there's or, or certain churches or even ashrams or other things that the rules squeeze out any possibility for spontaneity or spirit or or some kind of other energy to enter because there's no room for it. And, you know, I like how the Quakers would have these meetings in which you basically just sat there and when somebody felt 
guided or inspired or spirited to speak, they would speak and then it would, there would be silence. And mm -hmm. there was no rule other than there's no one in charge other than the person who feels maybe inspired to speak. Now, I haven't been to one of these meetings for 30 years, so I don't know if there's subtleties I might be missing there. But I like that idea that it's not like one person telling the others what they need to know. It's more of we're all waiting for something inspiring to move through us. And when that happens, we'll respond. That's right. And the other element is that some focus on joy. And there are a couple of ways that, that that can be focused on. One is through just sheer beauty uh, mm -hmm. of, the, of the environment. And then another is through music. And whether this is a wonderful choir singing Bach or a fantastic chorus singing spirituals, uh, there's, a, there's, there's a joy in music that's shared. And mm -hmm. shared joy is one of the most infectious and wonderful things in the world. And it's, you know, it's akin to love. In fact, I'm not even sure they're separate things at all. It reminds me, last week I saw Bruce Springsteen in concert. Uh, I've seen him a few times. And, you know, it's interesting. He's never had a number one hit, but he's the number one concert draw in the world, mm -hmm. uh, generally. And the reason is because he's such a great performer. And what he does is he creates a feeling of intimacy and joy with the 20,000 people there. And it's, it really feels very spiritual. You know, everybody's singing the song. Everybody, it's kind of like a guru. Everybody's like loves him or loves his songs. And he feeds on this joy. And it's like a, a feedback loop where he's feeling joy to be doing this. We feel joy with his songs and his performance, which feeds him more. You know, he's 73 and he played for over three hours without a break. I don't know if you've ever tried singing for an hour. It's really hard. I know you have, and, and um, it's exhausting. Plus he's playing guitar and he's moving all around. I, it's, it looks like a supernatural thing to see this whole 20,000 different piece uh, organism all celebrating together. I, you know, it's not about awakening, but it certainly experienced a lot of love and joy in an environment like that. And I think that type of experience can actually inspire people. Like, how can I find that in other parts of my life? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, that kind of performing is energizing. Not that I've ever experienced it on the level of Bruce Springsteen, but, uh, you know, in my own small way, I've done, you know, solo cabaret shows that lasted an hour. And the energy that you get from sharing this with the audience, it, you know, comes through you. So, yeah, maybe that night you'll be pooped, but boy, you can, you can, go, you can just feed on that energy forever and share it. But I've had... You know, one of the most spiritual experiences I ever had was sitting in a Broadway theater watching Some Like It Hot. It was a group mm -hmm. of friends with us, but the whole audience. And it's a Broadway musical. The musical, the music is wonderful. The story is great. It was updated to be more inclusive. So the cast is very diverse. The message is about being authentic and really yourself. And it's about love. And my gosh, I... I that was a stronger spiritual experience than I've ever had in a traditional church. Right, right. 
So your awakening environments could be in in places that you don't expect it sometimes. That's right. That's right. And 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 I think the key is love, joy, and sharing, and to a certain degree, relaxing and being open to it. Mm -hmm. Although uh, I'll add an emotion to your love, joy, and and sharing. Uh, it's the emotion of grief. You know, shared grief is a very powerful bonding agent. And I experienced this at Burning Man, where uh, after they complete Burning Man, they burn this man, and it's a big celebration. The next night, they burn a, a constructed temple. And in the temple, people have written letters to people who have died that last year, or pets that have died. So it's a, it's a communal, 70,000-person strong, letting go of of our past loves and grief, collective grief. And I have to tell you, it was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. 70,000 people, a lot of them crying, a lot of them uh, experiencing this common letting go. And it made me realize that we are all the same, that we're all subject to this letting, everybody we know is gonna die, or we're going to die. And it just put the human condition into me in a very deep way. And, you know, you think of funerals or other things like that, it helps us to realize that we are all a lot more alike than we are different. That's right. And I think that's very mm. profound, what you just said. And, uh, and when I was talking about love and joy and sharing, you're talking really, you're focusing on the sharing because in, yeah. in, in this, you're sharing grief. And, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said we, we notice that we're all the same. We each know the feeling of grief. We each know the humanity behind our emotions. And we each get this sense that it's the same. What is looking out through my eyes is the same as what's looking out through your eyes. There may be differences in our bodies, in our physical person and in our physical nature and in our personalities, way of speaking. All that is surface. Underneath, there's something that connects all of us. And any way you can touch into that single connection, what what is what never changes, what is always present, what connects everybody underneath and what i feel is our actually our true identity when we tap into tap into that then that's boy that sure is powerful yeah and a new awakening environment really in the last 30 years i think has been stand-up comics <laughs> you know, i was listening to chris rock yet last night uh doing a comedy special and you know, a lot of comics are really showing us our dark side in a way that we get a, ourselves to laugh at it and realize our commonality. And it's really a, a way of, once again, tapping into our sameness, tapping into the things that we might have hidden. Uh, I remember George Carlin once said, I get people to laugh at what they should have been laughing at the first time. <laughs> Well, I read somewhere a while ago, some philosopher had a theory about laughter. 
And he said that he thinks laughter is a series of little tiny gasps of relief. Uh-huh. Relief that other people have the same faults and foibles and fears as we do. And, and thoughts that they don't want to share. Exactly. Secrets and yeah. and odd little behavior patterns and, and everything. So I sometimes resist comedy because a lot of times it seems mean. But the comedy I laugh most at is is in this is about people who make innocent mistakes. Yeah, I, you know, just like I do. Uh -huh. Yeah, so it's another new type of awakening environment um, for humans. Once you have a list of these things, the question I think to ask is, what's your best environment for you now? What helps inspire you and connect you and have these experiences? It might be uh, an ayahuasca session or like the MDMA stuff I do. Um, it's really different at different times of the journey. You live in New York City. Every time I go into a city like New York City, it makes my head go crazy. But you have managed to make use of that environment. Whereas I live in a country in which uh, a town of 2000 that just got 5,000 <laughs> feet of snow, that normally is a good awakening environment for me. It's quiet. <laughs> Now I'm in a hotel room next to a freeway 90 miles away so that I can get some heat, you know. Right, but, right. Um, you know, at different parts of the journey, different types of environments, whether it be churches, communities, uh, ashrams, retreats, are going to serve you. And I, it's pro there's probably a science to really knowing what your best environment is now, what nurtures you now. Yes, and I, and, and I wish I knew the exact way to help people find that. But it's true that it's different for everybody. I would say that for most people in the world, being in nature is restorative and calming and, and very good. And I certainly like nature as well. But I love cities. And one of the reasons I love cities is one of my, and it just has to do with this particular personality that somehow developed that i don't make any claim I, I i created myself but i am an appreciator of human creativity mm -hmm. i just love to see the creativity and that could be in architecture that could be in the design of store windows that could be anything I also love, I, one of the first practices I did was walking around and looking at people and imagining looking out through their eyes. Mm. And that's when I first got the sense that what's looking out through their eyes is the same as what's looking out through my eyes. And the city is just this wonderful place to just be with people. Also, I don't, I don't, buy into the rush, rush, do, do, achieve, achieve thing that most people in New York City do. So I can walk slowly in a place where everyone's rushing around and enjoy mm -hmm. it. But I also love nature and human creativity. And that's why my favorite place in the world is Central Park. It's just this beautiful combination of nature and art and humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I think when you're beginning your spiritual journey, it's good to find as 
relaxing, as nat natural, as supportive an environment as possible. But maybe later in the spiritual journey, when you're trying to uh, integrate your higher consciousness into more and more difficult situations, a place like New York City or less supportive environments can be useful. It's like, you know, at first when you go to the gym, you try and lift 20 pounds. But after 10 years of going to the gym, you don't lift 20 pounds, you lift, you know, 200 pounds. And creating more and more challenging environments can sometimes be helpful for people further along the path. I remember hearing a story of a couple of Buddhist monks who were so advanced that absolutely nothing could phase them in their environment. And they were just, they just had this beautiful equanimity with whatever happened. And they said, let's test this. Let's see how, and they said, oh, I have an idea. Let's go steal something and get arrested <laughs> and see if we can, see if we can be relaxed and calm and uh, what's the word equanimous? Equ <laughs> I can never get this word right. Equanimous, equanimous, equanimous. Something. <laughs> in, in that situation. Now, I don't recommend that to people unless, of course, you're, you know, you really are advanced. But, you know, these are people who have learned the skill of allowing whatever arises to be exactly as it is. And that's a big element, no matter what environment you're practicing in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a couple of the downsides quickly, because that's also something that happens in human awakening environments. Uh, one of the downsides is you get into echo chambers, just like in politics, you know, you have the this group versus that group, and, and a certain sense of group think, where you can get stuck not hearing or not being exposed to other lines of thought or other practices that puts you in a very narrow range of spiritual experience. That's right. And the corollary to that is uh, I am right and my method is the best. No, my method is the best, but thank you very much. <laughs> but yes, that's definitely connected to that entire that echo chamber thing and i would say the other pitfall of it is something sometimes happen when people basically are talking about theory what they've learned and they're uh -huh. basically they're not sharing the experience of it they're talking about what they understand about it what they've learned what they've read and it becomes an intellectual or conceptual discussion and this is huge this is this is the i think the biggest pitfall and it happens all the time and we really have to say okay in in my experience when i do this this happens or or you know as opposed to um, you know, the, the, this particular non-dual philosophy says that, uh, that such and such is true. And if you don't believe that, then you're actually wrong. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a big danger. And yeah. so I think that we have to, A, talk from experience and not from theory. And also, all gatherings need to include some silence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, the non-kind or crude term I have for this is group mental masturbation. 
And it really can feel like, you know, people are just jerking each other off in a mental way that goes around in circles and they're missing the essence of where the finger is pointing to. Right. And it's a problem in groups as, as cause it's very safe and uh, it can, a group can be a protection from life rather than a, a launching pad into greater discovery, which is really what you want. That's right. And the finger pointing is such a good analogy, the, the classic finger pointing to the moon. It's about what, what it's pointing to, not the finger. But we tend to get into these discussions about the exact angle um, that the knuckles are bent at. We look at the finger and we describe it. And we describe the fingerprint on it. And we analyze it. And, yeah. and we're just focused and we're not looking at where it's pointing to and where I believe the best place to point to is within, because that's where we'll find it, not in outer experience. But again, you could say that's just theory and that's just opinion. But in my experience, when I look inside and allow everything to be as it is, and instead of looking at what's experienced, I look at what's doing the experiencing, then I'm flooded with happiness and joy. But Maybe for other people, it's not that way, but that's the way it is for me. Mm -hmm. And there is some value to parsing out intellectual aspects of awakening, as we often do. Uh, it's just you have, everything has to be in moderation uh, and, and balance with the actual direct experience. The actual direct experience. And we also have to understand that the direct experience of the reality that at least we talk about on this program cannot be described in words. It can be pointed to, but the, the, the descriptions are only to help us shift our attention to something that can only be experienced and not even be experienced. In other words, you can only, it's something that you are. It's not even something that you see or know or look at. It's something that you are. So it's that shift of identity to being the background of all experience. And there's no words that can really describe that experience. I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what the meditation today is about, is trying to describe that experience. Now, you're right, it's just a finger pointing to something. And, and one of the things which we didn't touch upon in human awakening environments is that in such environments, people can group together to help each other point to uh, peace, awareness in within. And so my thought was that today we would try to do that. I'm going to create a, a, a guided meditation that involves you, then me, uh, pointing to our descriptions of awareness, and then leave time, like 20 seconds, for the person listening to also describe their direct experience of awareness. So this is like a group awareness experience, which uh, hopefully can be fun. It's a very powerful tool. And what I find in doing this in groups is that uh, it helps you to stay focused in the same direction. You know, if I, when I try and do it all on my own, I get distracted after a minute or two. But with 
um, a, a sense of social support, there's a sense that as I listen to your description of awareness, it points me in that direction. And then it's my turn to describe it. It points me in that direction. As, as long as we don't rehearse while somebody else is talking, right? Uh, you get pointed back and back and back and back to the same awareness, which is really incredibly helpful because our minds are always going in a different direction. And when you get several people pointing a finger in the same general direction, you start to experience that awareness. It's not just an intellectual concept anymore. And it's a very powerful technique. So uh, we're going to do that in just a moment. Before we do that, I do want to do a shout out, shout out, not a shout out, a shout out to our <laughs> awareness uh, explorers, Patreon supporters, that for as little as a dollar a month, get a bunch of extra stuff, depending on how much you support us free uh, meditations and articles and excerpts from teachers that we didn't include in the podcast. And uh, we hope that you'll look that up at patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers. And thanks for all the people who do support us and we enjoy getting your emails as well. Any last words we should say before we go into a meditation, Brian? Yeah, I want to. I want to do a little bit of a. Speaking of shout outs, I want to do a little shout out to my co-host of the Rupert Spira Meetup Group because I learned so much from him, Walter Dennison, and he's the one who, each time somebody talks, he gently points people away from theory and towards their experience, and he's so good at just telling people, okay. Tell us about your experience. For you, this is, and then we learned that people have wildly different descriptions that mm. on the surface we think are different, but then we realize they're talking, then we realize they're talking about the same thing. And the other thing that he brings is a knowledge that everyone is doing their best, everyone is the same. Everyone is accepted, and that the entire premise of what he brings to it is love. And love is the most powerful force in the universe. So no matter what you're doing, when you're getting together with people, or even when you're practicing alone, remember, self-love, love of others, love as your identity, it's all about love. Hmm. Good words to end by and good words to begin our meditation. And in our meditation today, we'll be doing something new. I will be giving like a 10 to 20 second description of awareness using the words awareness is. And then I'll say done. Brian will give a description and say done and then i'll leave about 20 seconds for you the listener to give your description of awareness and as we do this for several minutes what you might notice is that you start to go from intellectually describing what awareness is to actually sensing and being awareness and that is in fact the goal so hopefully you'll get a hang of 
what it's like to do this in a shared environment in which all of us are pointing in the same direction while Brian or I are talking, try to be and know what we are pointing to and not rehearsing the response that you're going to give when it's your turn. So let me begin with awareness is seeing and being without the filter of the ego. It's the hum of silence underneath my thoughts and underneath any sense of judgment. Done. Awareness is what knows all of my experience. Done. Now your turn. Take time to say what you see awareness is for the next 20 seconds. Awareness is a shift in identity from wave to ocean. It's what's left when I stop identifying with my ego or my thoughts or whatever role I'm currently playing. Done. Awareness is that within me that is already allowing everything to be as it is. Done. Your turn. Awareness is a screen on which my life, thoughts, and emotions are projected. It's the full allowing of exactly what is happening in this moment. Done. Awareness is the white background of a white board on which our thoughts are written. Done. Your turn. Awareness is unconditional love of what is. Awareness is what's happening now without my ego judgments, opinions, or desire to control anything. Done. Awareness is that 
space in which my physical body appears, that space in which my thoughts appear, that spaciousness in which my personality appears, but it alone is none of these and all of these at the same time. Done. Your turn. Awareness is what's left when there is no resistance to this moment. Awareness is the vibrating, alive energy that animates all of life. Done. Awareness is this right now here without thoughts about the past or thoughts about the future. Done. Your turn. Last round, awareness is stepping out of a sense of being in a moving river of time and story and into an eternal ocean of stillness and nowness. Done. Awareness is that which has looked out of my eyes and has never changed ever since I was a little child. Done. Your turn. Hopefully you can sense being awareness, the peace, perhaps the openness, spaciousness that goes along with being awareness and seeing and knowing yourself as awareness, since that is your true nature. Feel free to take as much time as you want to relax into that beingness and into that peace. And welcome back to the world of materiality and all kinds of stuff. Thank you so much for emphasizing being and beingness, because as you said before, these are these are pointers. These are not really conceptual descriptions. These are 
little tools to point our attention to being awareness and sharing that experience with each other. And that's what it's all about. So if you like this, share it with others. Because as my friend and co-host says, knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give to yourself or those you love. I love those words, Brian. Thank you. Uh, it's Me a fitting, too. Fitting and true uh, sentiment too. And we appreciate all you list for listening and supporting us and doing your inner work because that ultimately is what creates a better world. So find your best human awakening environment. And that would be a way that you both serve yourself and others. Any last words, Brian? I'm just very grateful. I'm, I want to thank you, Jonathan. I'm very grateful to you and to you, our listeners. I, I'm very grateful to you. So thank you for being you. And thank you for being me, for being us, for being all one. Mm. And as always, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.